Thanks, Wayne, and uh, good afternoon, everyone. Good to see you all. Uh, welcome if you're joining us for the first time. It's really good to have you here uh, with us as well. And yeah, please have Luke chapter 6 open uh, so we can look at this passage together again, a challenging one, uh, one we pray uh, once more. Lord, this is a, a hard uh, passage, a challenging one. Would you uh, convict us and encourage us and help us see how we can grow in this area and help us grasp your love more deeply, Lord, we pray. Amen. Uh, when we were expecting the twins, uh, we had quite a few scans uh, along the way, sort of checkup appointments and that sort of thing. Uh, and you're always a bit nervous going in. You want to make sure everything's all right. And I remember one in particular where uh, the lady doing it was, was lovely, really reassuring, everything's fine. Although actually their legs are quite short. Uh, and then she looked at me and Pippa and thought, ah, nothing to worry about. <laughs> It's, it's family resemblance, runs in the family. They're not going to be giants, our kids, are they? They're going to be uh, short like we are, probably. Uh, there's something in our genetics, isn't there, that gives us family resemblance. Uh, physical characteristics, just our inward character, what we're like. Uh, there's many things, and I wonder what it is in yourself that you maybe can, you, you see, uh, you know, it, that runs in the family and those sort of things. It's a good thing. It's expected. It's, it's, a, it's a normal thing in some sense. And if you're a Christian, uh, God is your father. God is your father. So that makes you think, well, do I have that sort of family resemblance? Do I, are there elements of my character and what I do that reflect my father in heaven? That's really challenging, isn't it? To think, is that, is that what we're like? And the question we're going to be thinking about today, the, the passage gets us thinking about one particularly really hard area that if we can do this, we'll look like the Father. So Jesus is preaching to his disciples. We see in, that, in chapter 6, verse 17, uh, he is preaching on a level place, and this is often called the Sermon on the Plain for that reason. Uh, and he began last week, jo Jonathan took us through this, uh, talking about blessings for those who are poor for those who are in need it's very much the opposite of what the world would say isn't it in fact jesus says woe to you if you're rich and well fed that's that's complete opposite of, of what maybe the culture around us would say that's what we want that's what we want to be but actually we saw that jesus came uh, for those who knew they needed him for those who knew they had need and then he moves into this second sort of section of teaching, which is what we're going to be thinking about today. Uh, and yeah, it's really challenging, isn't it? That, that, the first heading, first question, do you love your enemies? Do you love your enemies? It's right there in verse 27, isn't it? But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do we? Is that something we can say we do? I guess, you know, we can kind of maybe detach ourselves and think, well, I guess maybe a little bit, if you really push me, if I kind of detach myself from a situation that's really hard, yeah, I could say that I, I love them. But in reality, that's a really difficult thing, isn't it? It's something we would struggle to do. And that's why this teaching is so revolutionary, so challenging. Because Jesus really clearly calls his followers to love their enemies with everything, that, what they do, the words they use, from the heart, to love people like that. The word Jesus uses for love here is the Greek word agape. 
uh, which is a word that's often used in Scripture to talk about gracious love, great, uh, love to the undeserving. It's used to describe God's love for us. And he's saying you should love other people like that. Love your enemies. It's quite a strong word, isn't it? Enemies. I don't know. Perhaps we wouldn't use that word initially, would we, to sort of describe people that we struggle with. But I wonder if there are situations in, in our lives where things are hard. Well, maybe you could say, actually, I could see why Jesus uses that phrase, that word. It could be things in our culture. Maybe a big company that abuses their position and abuses their power and abuses their employees. Maybe it's government officials that, that are just so clearly opposing to any sort of Christian principles. Or maybe activists that want to shut churches down and, and silence Christians. It could be things like that, but I, I reckon for most of us, it's probably things that are closer to home, perhaps. Maybe the, the boss who is always demeaning you, or the co-worker that kind of says one thing and does another, and it seems to just be talking behind your back all the time. Maybe it's angry neighbors that are just constantly causing trouble, constantly causing grief. Even members of your own family, perhaps, that you struggle with, that are challenging and hard, and you don't have a good relationship with. There's a few examples. I wonder who it is that, that you can think of in your life that you might think, actually, that, that's really, it's, it would be really hard to love them. But we're called to do that. Do you see? Let's work through the verses. Let's see how we're called to do that. Verse 27, do good to those who hate you. Do good to those who hate you. I imagine if we are feeling strong and we're, you know, we're facing opposition, we're facing some sort of uh, difficult situation, we probably just get our head down. We don't complain. We just sort of push through but Jesus says no don't just kind of endure it proactively go out of your way to do good to be kind to those who hate you really strong word isn't it to go out of your way to, to treat them well to do good for them is that something that even enters our head as a possibility for us to do he says bless those who curse you verse 28 I imagine if we are struggling and suffering and for an enemy of some sort. We will be grumbling, we'll feel a bit miserable, a bit sorry for ourselves. Maybe we feel angry at them and we express that inside or express it externally as well. And in some sense, maybe just subtly, you're kind of wishing some sort of misfortune on them. It wouldn't be the end of the world if they lost their job, would it? Make my life a lot easier. Those sort of things. Jesus says, no, bless them. Bless them, love them with your speech. Love them in, in what you say. And it's deeper than that, isn't it? It's, it's almost like saying, have this desire and, and a desire for God to show them grace, to show them favor. Even finding things that maybe you can be thankful for. Sounds impossible, doesn't it? But maybe it is possible in God's strength. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. See that verse 28? Pray for those who mistreat you. It's really hard, I think, to, to despise someone that you're praying for because your heart kind of softens towards them. And if you have been mistreated, the, the kind of main sense of the word is talking about verbal, kind of verbal abuse and, and abusive language and that sort of thing. But we can be mistreated in all sorts of ways. Jesus is saying, pray. Pray for those people. It gets to the heart, doesn't it? If we're genuinely praying for someone, it's, it's coming out of a kind of genuine love, a genuine compassion for them. So you see those three things, you've got kind of 
the things we do, the things we say, and what's going on on the inside. The whole of our lives, we should be loving our enemies. This genuine sense of compassion, genuine desire for mercy, not feeling angry, not feeling wanting revenge. That is really hard, isn't it? That is incredibly challenging. And then Jesus goes on. It's not over yet. Verse 29. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. Now this is a statement that kind of talks about the willingness to suffer for Christ. So let me be clear, it's not a kind of excuse for allowing abuse to carry on and and saying you must stay in an abusive situation because you must turn the other cheek. That's not what this is saying. Or if you're being bullied and that sort of thing. Actually, you see that, you know, both Jesus and Paul, when they are in uh, situations where they, they are struck, they actually challenge the people on that. But the context, we're thinking about opposition for our faith, maybe persecution, receiving insults, whether it's literal physical violence for our faith, whether it's just verbal put-downs or being kind of ostracized from, from the people around us. He's saying, turn the other cheek. Be willing to suffer even more for the sake of Jesus. It's like facing that humiliation, facing pain, rather than responding in anger. Trusting God to be the judge who is just. Turn the other cheek. That's challenging. Verse 29. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back talking about giving in some sense. One of my favorite books is uh, Les Mis. It's a proper, chunky epic. I do recommend it if you've got a month to read it. Uh, But it's, you may know the story from the musical and the films and all that sort of thing, but Jean Valjean is this uh, released convict, and he's got absolutely nothing. He's got nothing to his name. He's got no prospects, no hope. And he is taken in for the night by this bishop. Uh, and in the middle of the night, repays this kindness by jumping out of the window with all the silverware and running off into the night, stealing it all. Uh, and in the book, the, brother, the, the bishop's sister who lives there is mortified. Can't believe it's all gone. What are we going to eat with, she says. And the bishop says, well, was the silver ours in the first place? Did it belong to us? And sure enough, as the police kind of come knocking on the door, holding, you know, dragging Jean Valjean in, the bishop says, oh, you forgot these silver candlesticks. They're they're worth lots of money. You you could go and sell these too. And it's this staggering moment of of grace when he has been mistreated. And it almost sets Jean Valjean free and transforms his life as he sees this, this gracious love. Would you be able to do that in a similar kind of modern situation would you have compassion for the person rather than this desire for justice it's challenging isn't it there we have this attitude don't we that that we we love the things that we've got we love the things we own sometimes we hold on to them too tightly we forget that they are gifts from god this is saying look do you love other people even your enemies even people who have mistreated you more than you love your stuff are you generous? When people ask you for things, do you say, of course? Or do you say, no, no, I'm not going to do that because I don't, I don't think I'm getting it back from you. So it's the sense of giving and giving in costly ways, giving in painful ways. 
because we are, have a desire to be compassionate and merciful to other people. There's a verse in, in Hebrews, Hebrews 10.34, that says this, You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Could you say that? If you're persecuted for your faith and they confiscate your possessions and they rejoice because they know that, that, that actually they've got something better, something more lasting. Their, their relationship with, with Christ has much more hope and much more promise for them. It's a challenge, isn't it? It exposes our hearts. How willing am I to do that? And then verse 31 kind of sums it all up, doesn't it? Do to others as you would have them do to you. Uh, it's often called the golden rule. Kind of helpful guidance for any situation you find yourself in. Uh, when your kids are fighting, when you have got conflict at work, when your neighbors are causing trouble again, what do you do? You do what you would do for yourself, for them. Now apparently at the time this phrase was not uncommon, it wasn't kind of unheard of, but it was almost like the flip side. That it was a negative way, it was saying, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. So it's basically just saying, don't be horrible. Don't be horrible to other people. And Jesus says, no, it's more than that. Do you see, he flips it on his head and says, it's more than not just being, like, don't just be horrible, but proactively do good. Proactively love people. Even if you know it's not coming back, even if you know it's not going to be reciprocated, take that step. Love them. These are big things. These are hard, radical commands, aren't they? Maybe you're sitting thinking, how am I supposed to do this for my enemies? Because if I'm honest, we, we barely do it for our friends, don't we? If we're honest. How, what does it even look like? Well, I, mean, I was encouraged by the story of the, this guy called Philip Riken. He was, wrote to the commentary, one of the commentaries I was using. And as a teenager, he worked in Burger King. Uh, and he worked with some really toxic people. The managers, the supervisors, they were... They would put people down. They would shout abuse. People were quitting their jobs. They didn't want to be part of it. And here's what he says. Here's what he says. At first, I hated working for these people. In a way, they were my enemies. But within several weeks, God gave me the grace to pray that I would learn how to love them. I began to do good to them, finding extra ways to serve them. I began to bless them, speaking words of encouragement. I began to pray for them, asking God to show them his love. By the grace of God, the change was dramatic. Not simply in my own attitude and in my relationships with people I found it hard to love, but in the whole workplace. That's an encouraging testament, isn't it? But it's a challenging one. Think, uh, if, you, if you've got people you're thinking, oh, I really struggle with that person. I don't know how I would love that person. Think, well, what good have I done for them? What kind words have I spoken? What prayers have I offered for them? God, has, God, God can transform our hearts if we, if we do this if we, and ask for him to, to fill us with genuine love, genuine compassion for those who hate us. We're, we're following him, his example. Now I'm aware that when we, hear that when we read this sort of passage, I think often our reaction to it can be quite defensive. We can think, well, hang on a second. Hang on. Surely God doesn't just want us all to be taken advantage of and just for us all to be doormats to other people and, and Surely you've got to draw the line somewhere, haven't you? And in some sense, yes, that's true. There are caveats to these commands sometimes, like I've spoken about already, when there's an abusive relationship. 
uh, or where it would hurt someone to kind of keep on giving and keep on giving, it would be more damaging. But I think if that's our initial reaction to this passage, to go, oh, well, actually, no, there's a line here. I'm not, not going to go near it. If you're trying to find a way not to do this, then that, that's, that kind of exposes our hearts, doesn't it? it? That we're perhaps lacking in how we love other people. Because I think most of, most of the time, we're so far away from loving our enemies. We're so far away from you know, doing what Jesus wants us to do. We need to not just kind of look for excuses. Oh, that's all right. I don't need to do it. But actually go, maybe just sit and feel the weight of this calling. This is hard. This is challenging. This is, this is impossible in our own strength. But it is possible. And it can be joyful if we do it in Christ. And that's what we need to think, isn't it? How do we just, how could this possibly be possible to love our enemies? Well, let's look at the second half of the passage. Do you love like your father does? Do you love like your father does? Uh, verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those that are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. It's the same principle. He repeats it for emphasis just to make it really clear. Do you see this? Jesus says, if you only love people who are going to love you back, you've kind of already received the benefit that you're going to get from that. Because anyone, anyone can offer that sort of love, that sort of reciprocal love. I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. I'll give you a gift if you give me one. It's this kind of tit-for-tat exchange. It's love based on self-interest. It's inviting friends over with that kind of unread, unsaid expectation that you'll be invited back another time. Or maybe doing something menial at work so that you get into the boss's good books. Or sucking up to your school teacher so you uh, get better grades. But Jesus is really clear, isn't it? That there's a problem with this sort of love because... It's no different to the love of the world. And everyone can love like this. Even people who do not follow Jesus will, will love people with this kind of tit-for-tat relationship. And if that's what we end up doing as a church, we just love people who are going to love us back. We're not going to look any different to the world around us. And why would people look at us and think, wow, there's something amazing going on here. I need to find out more about Jesus. That they, they'd say, well, they're no different to anyone else. That's why this is so important to consider. Verse 35, love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. So you see, by loving the unlovely, by loving the, the angry and the haters, by loving people that is going to cost you, loving people at a loss, that's when we start that kind of gaining that family resemblance. That's when we start looking like the Father. That's when we start showing what God is like. Because you see what it says? He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. He is kind to evil people, and we're called to be merciful like that. In 1 John, he says several times, God is love. God is love. He is perfect in holiness and purity and compassion and love. And that perfection is shown in how he loves his enemies. 
That's the sort of love that, that is perfect love. So who is an enemy of God's? It's anyone who has sinned against him. Anyone who has hated him and done wrong and opposed his, his will and not done what, what they should. It's anyone who has cursed him. Anyone who has said the wrong thing. Anyone who has ignored his advice. Anyone who has not trusted him. Anyone who is angry at him when things go wrong. Anyone who has mistreated him. Ignored him. Abused him. Anyone whose heart is far from God's. Anyone who has taken advantage of his blessings and just turned away from him all the same. Who would do that, we think? Who would do that? Ah, we would. We would do that. We are the people he's talking about. We, we are the ungrateful and the wicked people that Jesus speaks about here. We need to let that sink in, don't we? That we have rejected God in so many ways. And yet he is kind to the ungrateful and he is kind to the wicked. He shows us love and mercy. Not because we deserve it, no. Actually, we deserve the opposite, don't we? we God is perfectly holy perfectly loving and that means he expresses his perfect anger at sin how then can we be saved I'll take you back to that passage in Romans 5 we started with but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners Christ died for us so Jesus even as he's teaching these things love your enemies he's he's no he knows that that he's going to demonstrate this. he's going to show how that works Right to the end. Think about what happens as he goes to Jerusalem. Already hated by the leaders. And then cursed by the crowds. And then abused verbally and physically. And stripped and humiliated. And hung on a cross. And forsaken by the Father. We cannot imagine the, the weight on his shoulders. The, 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 the grief he was experiencing as he bore our sin on his shoulders. And yet in the midst of that. Do you know what he says in, in Luke 23, 34? He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Praying for the people crucifying him. Even in that moment, isn't that amazing? He loves his enemies. He prays for them. Father, forgive them. Even in that moment, he, on the cross there, he loved us. He died for us. He took the wrath that we deserve on himself. He shows kindness to those who are ungrateful and wicked. He lays down his life to save sinners like us. And it goes so much deeper, doesn't it? Verse 9 carries on in Romans. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, see that we were God's enemies, and we were reconciled and we were brought close, we were reunited with God, through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved through his life? We are saved. But it doesn't stop there. There is great reward. There is great blessing that comes with the relationship with God. And that's what Jesus says in this passage in Luke 6, doesn't it? There in verse 35. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. There is reward here. Jesus promises uh, an eternal reward. Uh, rather than anything, you know, temporary. 
So in a sense, this command that Jesus gives us to love our enemies, it's, it's a command to kind of invest in the right place. It's a, a, a way of so responding to his love by loving him and loving other people in costly, sacrificial ways. It's making a loss now for a gain in eternity. It's experiencing pain and suffering now because we have great joy to come and we hold on to that hope. If you're sitting here tonight and actually you've never turned to Christ, you are his enemy. That's what the Bible says. And it's really serious to consider that. And yet, as I've explained, he loves you. He wants to welcome you into his family. He he wants to show you mercy like no one else can. He wants to make you new. So come. You turn away from your sin and trust Jesus. Trust his death on your behalf. And you will be saved. You will no longer be his enemy. You'll be his friend. Isn't that staggering? For those of us who do believe, marveling at that grace that has been shown to us to be his friend. We are friends of God. And if we get that, that's when we seek his power, seek his help to show love to our enemies. It comes with his help. It comes with his strength and power. If we get how deeply he loves us, then our priorities change. Our perspective kind of changes as well. It gives us an ability to love others, even our enemies, in really radical ways. It becomes possible. This is a little boy called Samuel Barker. And sadly, in January 2020, uh, he was killed. He was run over uh, by the school minibus who had just dropped him home. A real tragic, tragic accident. And I looked this, I went back to, it was reported in Evangelicals Now, it's a newspaper, it's a Christian family. And the mother was just this incredible witness at this time. So she knew, so this is what she said. She told a local paper, I was there in seconds. I picked him up off the road and put him on my lap. I knew he was dead straight away and there was no suffering. I praised God for his life. And I knew exactly where he was now and that it had been so quick. And then she said, it says this, instead of anger towards the bus driver who was arrested, Samuel's mother said, he is in our prayers, and I feel desperately sad on his behalf. One of my hopes is that through this awful event, he will come to Christ. The the article goes on just to explain his mother at this moment. Her faith was so deep, so certain in Christ, that, that in her brokenness, her grief kind of transformed the community around her. She was able to give hope to, to those grieving at school. She was even able to, to, to express love for the bus driver that had done this. Who probably should have been an enemy, right? You don't think, how, how would I be able to see that person, even speak to them or forgive them? And she says, no, I'm praying for him. I want him to know Jesus. It's a staggering love, and it's a staggering thing that only comes through the Spirit, only comes from knowing Jesus, only comes from from him and his love. But it shows us that it is possible. This was in Wales in 2020. That can happen in Kenilworth in 2023. It is possible for us to love our enemies and, and do good to those who hate us. It is possible for us to resemble our Father and be merciful as our Father is merciful.